I tell people, I'm gonna be real honest. I had more sex in seminary than I had had prior but to. Wait a minute. Wait, <gasps> hold on. Hold on. Wait. <coughs> I had more. Thanks to one of our sponsors, Moed Hennessy. Uh, um, we're gonna go ahead and sit on that. I'm just telling the truth, right? I was so free because my relationship to God was not about doctrine. You are so amazing right now. Go ahead, keep going. It wasn't about doctrine. It was about the nuance of relationship. Like, you made me. You know me, fam. You wrote the manual. And you know that this child that I got on my hip and this welfare I was on and these eviction notices and these jobs I moved, you knew. So... Who, who better to tell me about the life that I'm created to live than you? I am Rashawn Ali, everybody's homegirl, everybody's favorite soror, the cool soror, representing the ATL and the east side of Decatur. What's happening? Okay, here we go. It's the Cool Soror Podcast, hosted by me, Rashawn Ali. Let's go. Welcome to the Cool Store Podcast. I'm your host, Rashawn Ali, and this is our opportunity to learn more about women who are in Black Greek letter organizations and men as well. But today is very, very special because I have Alicia Gordon here, and she was the very first guest that I had on my podcast in 2016. And she's here live in person. You know, I don't want to cry, Alicia. But welcome back to the show in this space. In this space. Look at you. Look at look at us. Look at us. 2016, we was on my couch. In your apartment. In my apartment. In Atlanta. Yep. Now you down to the New York. New York City. Right. And look at you. You Thank got you. a brand. You in a, you in a studio. Right. And you know what I love about it since this time is yeah. that you have always stayed true. I don't know how else to, to be. who you are. I don't know how else to be. So, this is just like being on the couch in 2016. Let's do it. Baby. I mean, literally, I walked into you. I, like, I didn't know what... I won't say I didn't know what I was doing because YouTube University had taught me so much mm -hmm. prior mm -hmm. to me coming to your house. But to put that microphone and the USB <laughs> in my Apple, in my Mac, yep. literally. Yep. And I was like, okay, here go your microphone. <laughs> this is my microphone. Input, output. Right. And we're cool. <laughs> and here we did. are, like yeah. six years later. Six years and later. So much has changed. A lot has changed. Yes. For the good, though. For the good. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. And I Russia. thought it was just apropos for you to be here because, first of all, I love you. Um, and secondly, like, you mean so much to this brand mm. because I I trusted you with the idea. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I want to come to your house to interview you, to talk about everything that you had going on then. Right, right. You were the head of praise and worship at Destiny <laughs> back then. Impact. Impact. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. not Destiny. Mm -hmm. That was my old church. Mm -hmm. Oh, everything went down. Oh, my. It's fine. No worries. We're not going to talk about that. Churches be different. It is different. Listen, what's, what's going on with the church? I mean, do you want me to answer it? I, I mean, I... <laughs> But I mean, churches are different. Like um, I, I went, I, yeah, I, I, I was at Impact, but prior to that, that's right. why my my home was Destiny, um, um, back in you know Marietta, um, and things happened at our church, and 
and then change things change in our in our lives mm-hmm. as 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 you know, a married woman who's a very married to a very strong black man mm-hmm. who was ultimately let down by a strong black man mm-hmm. in leadership. By leadership, yeah. And I'm not to be so deep early. Sure. But because you're in this world, mm-hmm. um what is that? look like and what does that mean for especially for for men who look up to other men who have let them down in Christianity oh it ain't even did we even have one minute no it's not I'm sorry but you keep it 100 all the time look 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 I mean I think there are a few things that the people who are called to ministry are human beings just like everybody else. Absolutely. And I often find that those who um, do right by us are often the ones who actually don't want the seat. Huh. You think about every person that was called in Scripture, Abraham, Moses, all these people, there was always this sense of resistance. They didn't want it. Right. But God saw something in them and said and elevated them to like lead people, right? And I think that when our faith leaders let us down... Quote, unquote... Yes. Let us down is that um, we have to recognize the full humanity of who these people are and also recognize is that oftentimes their shortcomings or our shortcomings is often hit up against our inability to be repentant. Hmm. It's one thing to publicly make a mistake or not make a mistake, publicly make a decision that is counterintuitive to what you teach. Oh, hello. Thank you. Say say that uh-huh. that and that way. Counterintuitive to what, what you teach. teach, right? And I think that's what really gets under people's skin is that you can't sit here and tell me that this is the formula for salvation and this is the formula for righteousness and this is the formula for how we're supposed to show up. And then you do the complete opposite of that, right? And so I think that when we see our leaders fall is that there's often this spirit of unrepentance is that you still feel entitled to power. You still feel entitled to tell other people what it is that they should do. And I think in those moments, what's really, what really transformed people's experience with the fallen, or because all of us fall short, let's Absolutely. be clear. Absolutely. I am so not Listen, perfect. when I say shout. Um, baby, baby, <laughs> this morning baby. I took a shot. I mean, and I'm still a great person. Listen, but I, but I think it's about the spirit behind when, when our human selves catch up to life. And I think it's often when our inability to decentralize or pull ourselves away from the position of power and to be teachable, even as a leader, to be able to receive reprimand, even as a leader, that is really the game changer about a person's ability or a husband's ability, anybody's ability to say, you know what, I see this for what it is. I see your willingness to correct it. I see your willingness to be in community while we correct it versus you out here at like, Right. So shit don't stink. Right. So. How you keep it so real? Because people could judge you for even what you just said. Absolutely. But the way you show up is so different than I've than I've ever seen. Did you make a decision to show up as Alicia the whole time? Or when were, mm. when did you free yourself from the confinement of Christianity? That's so good. That's a, I mean, I grew up in a Southern Missionary Baptist Church in Lithonia. Uh, Miller Grove, you know what I'm saying, on the East Side, um, where women don't preach, women don't wear lipstick, women don't wear pants, Ooh. right? Ooh. Very conservative black Baptist church. My daddy was a deacon and a trustee and all this kind of stuff. And so that's the context by which my like Christian formation happened. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school when I was at Emory and got my master's in divinity 
was really the first time I interrogated and questioned what it is I have been believing for 30 years. Yeah. And I think that, and I always tell people all the time, like, if you could just take one theology class, like Theology 101, it would change the game because you you have to remember that our faith and what we believe comes from what our parents and grandparents told us. Absolutely. Right? And that's, and it's rich and it, it means something because it was the faith that allowed them to withstand, like, all these things that happened to them. But when I went to graduate school and for the first time was reading scripture for myself and understanding the historical context and like all of these moving pieces, I was like, I really have been like beating myself up for being human Mm. as a black single mom who had a baby out of wedlock, who was out here Kicking it hard. <laughs> right, right. The right. church had told me a, a a million times over. Oh, that you were just, you oh, were yeah. bad. You were a bad oh, person. Absolutely. But it was, it was taking those three years and really like digging into what it is that I believe, reconstruction, reconstructing what it was that I believe, that it freed me up. I tell people, I'm gonna be real honest. I had more sex in seminary than I had had prior wait, to. Wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> I had Mo. Thanks to one of our sponsors, Moed Hennessy. Uh, um, we're going to go ahead and sit on that. I'm just telling the truth, right? I was so free because my relationship to God was not about doctrine. You it, are so amazing right now. Go ahead, keep it going. It wasn't about doctrine. It was about the nuance of relationship. Like, you made me. You know me, fam. You wrote the manual. And you know that this child that I got on my hip and this welfare I was on and these eviction notices and these jobs I moved, you knew. So who who better to tell me about the life that I'm created to live than you? So that's how I show. And I tell tell people all the time, if you go back and look at my Facebook, like 2014, I'm like, Oh, sex out of marriage is sin. And even though I had a baby, you know, because this is the doctrine, right? right, right. Or, I, you know, you see all this stuff and I, sometimes I cringe looking at it like, Ooh! but that was just, I think all of us are on that faith journey of a place where we are like, who is it that our parents told us that God was? Oh my God. Who is it that God. institution has told us that God is? Oh. And then who is God telling you that you are? Oh. And I think that our resistance or the resistance we get from being free is that people haven't, people are afraid to find out who they could actually be if they allow God to delete them. Not institution, not church, not your pastor. Your nuanced relationship with God. That's good. That's good. And you said that it was good. I wake up every morning. I was just talking to my spiritual leader because I'm more spiritual than I am Mm. religious now. Um, And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm floating in all my gifts. I'm acting. I'm hosting a podcast. I got... Like, I'm doing financially well. My kids are amazing. Mm. Me and my husband are, like, mm-hmm. loving on each other after 20 years of marriage. We right. still like, oh, I like y'all. We having good sex. All the good, <laughs> all all the the good, good things. things right? All the good things. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not numb your whole ring at you. I'm not in the <laughs> word or whatever. I literally wake up and be like, God, thank you. That's and it. I pray for my parents. And I pray for my brother and his That's beautiful good. family. I pray for my sister-in-law and her beautiful family. And I pray for my kids. And I pray for my husband. And I be like... Bless the day. Right. And my spiritual leader was like, you good. That's good. And then you live in a, mm, and you live in kindness. Yeah. And you walk and you walk yeah, in love. Like good. you good. That's Sometimes good. what we grew up on mm-hmm. made us think like we gotta do all these yeah, things formula. to get God's favor. No. Listen, 
<laughs> and I think that is when we think about like the church and black church in particular and this relationship to like money and capitalism, all these things is that we have told we've told folks that there's a formula to God's grace. Oh, that there's a formula to God's favor that there's a form like you do A, B, C, and this is the outcome. And when I go back and look at scripture and I, I and what I'm saying specifically, when I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels. Yeah. Where Jesus was out on the scene three years, minding his business, healing the people. There was no formula to what he said. He spent his entire three years in ministry upending all of the systems. Huh. He's He was just like, listen, I know what the, the Old Testament or the Torah said, but I come to say that there's a new way to do, do things. Wow. He so said, he was really doing things yeah. pretty much like Alicia and Rashawn. Absolutely. He was reframing for people who had been in a religious, economic, political system that was fueled by rules. The, fa- the Sadducees and Pharisees said that you can't, you can't uh, work on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus said, well, this man need help on the Sabbath. Is, is the righteousness following the law or is the righteousness meeting the man's need? Ooh. Right? right? And so that's, that is that kind of upending around like this theology and I think what you're tapping into is about how do we show up in a really meaningful way that is about meeting the needs of people, meeting your own needs around the people around you, and for and being willing to risk foregoing institution to do it. Because institution is where the power lives. And we are drawn to power. We want to be powerful. We want to be connected to the money and the people and the lights and the cameras. But that's not where Jesus was. Jesus was over on the hillside like... Listen, bring the children to me. Bring them to me, heal them, send them on their way. About to go take a nap. Right. See y'all on the boat. But institution <laughs> led right, see y'all on the boat. Institution led you to New York. It is. It, it, did. it did. It did. It did. It and did. you know, I'm always gonna root for you and do other, but like it led you to New York. But so how did you what was the separation of like finding who Alicia is with God? Mm. Mm-hmm. And separating yourself from the institution that led you to the place that you I love. No, listen, God don't waste nothing. Okay. Um, that's such a good question. Institution did lead me to New York. And I would venture to say that in the last six years, I've worked in two like church institutions, major church institutions. And I didn't last long either. Because you are Alicia Gordon and, and you're from Decatur and you have a whole different. <laughs> I didn't last long in either. Right. And then after the church, I went into like a different institution. I went into politics and now I'm doing nonprofit work. And so I find that where I am now is actually more in line with who God called me to be. Not only about just doing work that's in my lived experience, but the little things that we take advantage, we don't think about. Like I really appreciate being able to get a call from you, getting on a plane coming here. Right. I ain't got to talk to no boss. I ain't got to put no time off. Maybe let me tell you. Maybe. <laughs> like, I don't have to go through no doctors, no paperwork. That That is who I have probably always been. But you was, had to find I had her. to find her and I had to afford her. Hello. These are facts. Because I had to find Rashawn, but I also had to the afford Ford. Rashawn. Yeah, that's good. Rashawn. God. Uh-huh has afforded Rashawn this opportunity. Everybody in here. That's right. To be able to get a check. That's right. But I had to put myself in position of belief first that I could. That's so good. 
than to receive what I can do. You just gonna preach today? For other people, I can. I mean, when I, I woke up this morning, I was telling my child. makeup artist, who's also my friend, I said, Jay, I'm so grateful. When Amber, Amber, who works on the team here at the Contact Factory, she came over and like she took some presents that mm-hmm. I got for you that you'll get after the show. And and right. Like and, <laughs> and took them over to the studio. But like the fact that she was able to mm-hmm. beautifully serve me in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that I was able to, and this is real, pay the content That's factory right. That's right. for her services. That's so good. Right? Mm-hmm. But that did not come without work, yeah. faith, and God's belief, mm-hmm. and my belief in God, mm-hmm. that I could actually have it. Mm-hmm. God had to take away the unbelief, mm. had to give me the opportunity to do it, yeah. so then I could do it. Right. Because I, we I walk around that. with this unbelief all the time, like, oh, I can't have that. I can No. Yes, you yes, can. You can. It remind that's so good. It reminds me of I ain't gonna get too too churchy here, but it's a scripture about this this guy whose daughter is sick, and he like goes after Jesus. And I don't even think he's like a believer or whatever, but he like goes finds Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you please heal my daughter? And Jesus, you know, depending on which gospel you're reading, Jesus act real funny in the Book of Mark. He'd be mm-hmm. like. Eh. You know, I mean, I can, but... I mean, but what's up? <laughs> but, I mean, um, but... Jesus was really like us. I mean, he really was. Right, he was, like, he, some, like, he I mean, was a little fun at He this, was like, God, God damn, I'm about to take a nap. God damn. <laughs> Y'all always ask him for something. <laughs> but the man comes, and he's like, my daughter is sick. She's like about to die, or she dies or something. And, you know, the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ooh, the unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that so many of us, we believe it here cognitively, but we don't believe it here. We don't believe it in our soul, right? Because we are so disconnected from body, from soul, from wellness, from all of those things. It's easy to intellectualize it. But it's hard to get to this place. And there are a number of reasons. Money, poverty, White, white supremacy, being black, whatever the case may be, there are a number of reasons. But that's what I hear when I think about that. What you said is that this father's like, I believe because I've seen you heal people. But help my unbelief because this is my daughter. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had years of unbelief. And so when I talk to younger women who want to do this or who are in my space, I'm like, my goal in this life is to take off 15 years of your unbelief Mm. because... So I good. didn't really get all of this. Tell the truth. Until about a few years ago. That's so, so good. My baby Daylin, mm-hmm. who's my talent coordinator, who knows she's the shit right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If she's, if she can, if I can be a part of her right. greatness in her 20s. In her 20s? You don't have to wait till you're 40. Baby! You don't have to wait wait till you're 40. You don't have to wait. You're already dope now. You're already dope. So I want to be a part of her journey. Say, Rashawn told me, but she already got it because she got examples around her that she's already dope. But there's other women that are in her age group that don't believe. Don't believe. But let me be an example. Let me take off 15 years. I don't want you to be in your 40s till you get to all this sauce. Right, right. 
you could be in your 20s and have a sauce already. Saucy, baby. Saucy. Mm. But we had to live this journey that's, so we could be examples yes, to other people. And that's what it's all that's about. What I know, that's I what it's all God about. That's what God gave me my shit later. That's what it's, yep. Because. I would have messed it up here. You gave oh, it to baby, me in my 20s. I would have had this. I would have been out here on the table like, eh. Hey. Oh, baby. <laughs> I would have been, been like, hey. At the Velvet Room. The whole thing. <laughs> I would have been that. And God knew that. Right. God knew I had to be engaged before I even got on the radio. Mm. I would have been with every rapper. Ooh. <laughs> See? Cause got because a nuanced relationship that God knew you. God, he before he even could get on the radio before he I knew. got an audition with Ryan Cameron. Mm. He said, "Let me go ahead and get this baby engaged." Right, to a good man. <laughs> so Settle when she on down. down to this radio, set her on down, set her on down. Because <laughs> when all these people start be like, "Oh my God, Rashawn, you're so beautiful," all these things, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> you be like, "If I was slitty. a single woman, I'd be like this." <laughs> Come on, kick up. These are facts, guys. These are real. I'm, I'm just Tell the truth. Real. This is a real podcast. The truth. A real show. This is real, Rashawn. And this is my truth. Mm-hmm. God knew who I was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when God made mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And you gotta, when we understand this truth, yeah. then you could be able to walk in who so, you are. And who you but you know what I love? Is that even when God knows us, that he still does not prohibit us from getting where it is that we call to be. Listen. He still be here. like, you know what? You ragged in a mother. But. But. <laughs> but, and, and not just for you or not just for me, not for just the people in this room. And you have already said it. It's because there are other people who are waiting on our obedience. There are other people whose entire lives and beings and callings waiting. are waiting. On the, listen, one of your sororers. Ty Lewis, she was another one of my first guests. Mm. She said, Rashawn, people are waiting for you to be obedient to the call on your life. And so since I've heard that, Mm. I know that this walk, although it's for me, it's for a a baby down in Arkansas, Mm. somebody down in Inglewood, Mm. California, Mm -hmm. who's watching how I move. Right, right. So that when they're faced with a similar situation. That's right, that's right. They can move accordingly. That's so good. That is real. That Ooh, is child. how I, that is, that is my church. Mm. That is my tithing. That is my mm. altar call. That is how I move. So and good. even when I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I'm not moving like you taught me to move. And she was very upset. I love mm. it. Mom, I love you. <laughs> you ain't teaching them babies about Jesus. <laughs> that's what she said. I said, I'm teaching them about love yeah, and kindness. Yeah. And Whatever it is yeah. that fuels them that's right. to be obedient to the call in their lives, that's what I want mm-hmm. them to do. Do you, do you do that for Ashley, your baby? Yeah. I know that you're very Jesus-centered. But, I but am. Do you, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's my homie. I know, right. <laughs> but what are you, I mean, she's a friend. First of all, I've known Ashley since she was, a, since like literally, mm-hmm. probably like 10 Probably before that. Before then? Yeah. Um, she's a freshman at Spellman mm-hmm. and is living her best life. If, you know, when you have daughters, you think about other people's daughters who you want them as- to aspire to be. Ashley's one of them. Because you've done <laughs> incredible job as a mother. <sighs> incredible Thank you. job. And Thank you. when I, I'm not like... And I will say this, like, I'm not, I mean, like, 
I'm good, but like I'm not like outstanding as a I mean, I I'm guys. I'm just telling you my truth. All right. Brian Stephen Smith is an incredible father. Mm. And the reason why, I mean, of course, I attribute to their lives as well. But I think primarily mm. the reason why they are so fantastic is because of him. Mm. And I add to it. Sure. You know, I do. Mm-hmm. But I'm not this prototypical mother. Mm. I'm not. And I think that as black women, we got to be okay with who we are. That's right. And how we show up for our babies. That's right. Um, and I do have a helpmate. I do. Mm-hmm. He's outstanding. Mm. He's outstanding. Hey, Smitty. <laughs> right. <laughs> outstanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now you have transitioned into this nonprofit, the current project, mm. where you are like literally catering to single mothers because you it's a lived experience. Yeah. I need to know more about this project, this this organization, and why it was so important to you to do it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I feel emotional. And you can what be. You put in this drink? It's it, just me, baby. The way I interview. That's my gift. Now, it is a gift. I can interview. All right. I, I can interview. I can interview a person. Okay? So, um... <laughs> I I, uh, appreciate this question um, in light of your your acknowledgement about your role as a mother. And I want to preface this by saying is that we have been conditioned not only by our own mothers, but I think as a larger society that mothers should show up a particular way. Yeah. And I don't bake. Listen, me neither. I don't don't do crafts. I don't do crafts. I don't do crafts. Me neither. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-mm. I don't. <laughs> like, I don't. And if more women would tell the truth about that, right, that moment wouldn't have been so like... Like it was. Right, right. right. But um, the current project is a- absolutely, it's a nonprofit that I run um, out of New York City, but we do work all over the country. And it is very much something built out of my lived experience. Uh, when I was a senior at Spelman, I learned probably like, two months before graduation, I was pregnant with Ashley. Wow. And um, my plan was actually to go to journalism school at the University of Maryland. So I was in the wow. middle of applying to journalism school. I wanted to be the next Khadijah James, you know, living single Come in New on, York. Khadijah. And like, <laughs> and uh, I would learn literally on Spelman's campus that I was pregnant with her. And I would never forget sitting outside on, the, on this bench and like weeping, like turned over. I'm, I'm 21 years old, pregnant with a dude who got a brother who lived in Atlanta. This man don't even live in Atlanta. Wow. And feeling, and I remember sitting my tote bag down on, on the ground and the application for University of Maryland was like peeking out at the top. And I remember saying to myself, I said, this is never going to happen, fam. Wow. And in hindsight, I remember that moment of just being boiled over and like weeping and sorrow. And I thought, in the moment, I thought it was because I was pregnant. I was 21 years old and I didn't know what the hell I was doing and what decision to make. But in hindsight... My sorrow, my weeping was not about this child, but it was actually about losing a dream. Mm. It was about what did it mean for the dreams that I had for my life. And so it is out of that moment that I created the current project because 
the trajectory of my life from that moment to being in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship to like becoming a high school English teacher and then quitting that job just on a whim. Like, I feel like God calling me to do something else. I don't know what, but I'm about to quit my job and, and everybody being like, the fuck you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> Ashley's like six years old. I didn't have anything lined up. And I sold everything I owned and I moved back home with my mom. I was like 29 years old. Indicator, off snapping the road. Come on, Eastside. Yeah, all day. And <laughs> uh, it was a friend of mine, one of my Spelman sisters was like, have you ever thought about going to seminary? And I, I, because of my church upbringing, I had never heard of seminary. People went to like Bible college. Right. You know, but no real like theological training. And I made the decision to go to seminary and change the entire trajectory of my life. I say all that to say that the current project is about positioning black single mothers to reclaim their dreams. Ooh. So many black mothers have to give up or put on hold to raise or their children. Or feel like they have or to. Or feel like they have to. And I feel like the trajectory from that bench on, a Spel- on Spelman College campus to today was every moment was about how do I put, put myself back in a position to get back to what I feel like I was called to do. What are the resources? Who are the people? What are the programs? What are the, what kind of money did I need? And so the current project is we aim to close the social and economic gap for black mothers while they do one of three things. Go back to school and finish a degree, post-secondary degree, earn some kind of work-related certificate, or start a small business. All of the data shows that those are the three things that get people out of a place of poverty and, and, and survival mode into a place of economic driving. Oh, nah. And so it's a huge task, right? Because what we're suggesting is that if we can alleviate the cost of living for black mothers while they finish their last two semesters at Georgia State, that it actually puts her in a better position to go ahead and finish the degree without having to worry about rent, without having to worry about childcare. She can really get the laser focus that I had, right? The laser focus it took to be able to say, I'm going to focus on this. I have a community of reliable others. I have money coming in from different resources to be able to focus on this, earn a degree. And then what does it mean to be in, in partnership with corporations and companies in her community to get her out of this degree program into a thriving wage. I know we love living wage. No, living no, wage. You said no, thriving wage. It's what you put out yeah. there. Yeah. Thriving wage because it's a, it is of nothing to be making a living wage if you can't save no money. Right. But thriving But wage. thriving means that so not that's only— So your mission? Yeah. Oh. That's what we do. And so what we've been able to do the last two years is test out bits and pieces of that. So we do this thing called Current Economics, six weeks. Um, we, I have a, a black woman in Harlem that does uh, financial coaching with these moms. And not only do they do the financial coaching, but we actually spend two weeks of that time focusing on personal narrative. Because our connection to money is very deeply tied I, to our I went story. To a, I went to a whole money therapist. Yeah. Because even coming up from a, a middle-class home, mm-hmm. like there was a, I still have a thing with money. I still yeah. feel like, even though I'm doing okay, I still feel like, can't spend it, can't spend it. Oh my God, I'm doing right, so right, much. Right, right, like, right. am I going to be able to get this right. back? We have a thing, yeah. black women have, have a thing, thing about money. money. And so we put 
their uh, economic, whatever it is, in conversation with their personal narrative. Love and it. we use that as a framework to not tell black women that they shouldn't buy Starbucks, not tell them not to buy the bag. We don't police black women how they spend their money. Right. But what we will do is say, we want to give you as much information as we can, tools that you can use every day to change your approach. We're not telling you to get no extra job because you ain't got time to get no extra job. No. <laughs> right. You're right. We're not telling you to go do none of these things. We're just saying, like, what is it that is going to take for you to create the conditions for economic thriving? And that's just like a little small part of we just like piloted this program early this year. It was wildly successful. We're doing another one next month. Um, and there was a few moms last, this spring that was here from Atlanta that was in it. It was really great. And so basically the current project is really about us being able to pilot and test out these little bits of money, doing some fundraising um, around our programming. And the last thing I'll say is how does all of this connect to policy? As an organization, I think a number of organizations that work with black single mothers in particular is very program centered and, it's, and that's important. Providing diapers, they're providing rent assistance, they're doing all these things and that's important work. But what else? But what I find is that what I know to be true is that we can't program our way out of poverty. Policy is really the thing that gets people from a place of survival mode into thriving mode because they go out of these programs and into a world that sustains the thriving. Mm. Right? Because I saw that with my own life. I went to Emory, number one, one of the number one programs in the country, and graduated in 2015 with my little Spelman degree and Emory degree. It was broke as fuck. Right. I had no job. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, right? And so what that what that did was put me in a tight place where I was like hustling and grinding and doing all these things, right? Essentially because I went back into a world that did not know what to do with all of this dopeness. Right. They didn't know what to do with it, right? So I hustled my way until I got some good white folks was like, we're going to offer you a job. Appreciate it. Right. <laughs> right. But I mean, so I think our long-term trajectory is to not only just do the programming piece, not just support black single mothers around economics and like mental health and these different things, but also be, begin to make the case for why we need to make policy changes around social safety net, around food, who can access food stamps, who can access rental assistance from a federal and state level, because you can earn these degrees and then go back to a job that don't pay you nothing. Mm. Right. And so without the thriving wage, you actually put yourself back into a place where you're in this cycle. And we want to get black mamas out of the cycle. Come on. Uh, that was good. Uh, that thing was good, girl. Put that on my website. What am I saying? <laughs> that was I good. Listen. So good. Listen, I have seen it. Though, yeah, man. From you the know? beginning. And to see you, like, doing it. I know. And not just doing it, but, like, that part about policy. Yeah. That's the part. That's the part. That's, that's the, the part. part. That's the part. For those people who didn't listen to the first episode back in 2016, I know you became a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Did mm -hmm. Delta Sigma Theta choose you, or did you choose Delta Sigma Theta? I mean, Sorry, you know. Say that again. Delta Sigma Theta. You there know, you Delta's always calling. Yes. It's always called. Yes. The question is, do you have the capacity to answer? Yes, because yes. listen, yeah, the, honey, I have written several letters for them. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, how many service hours do I got to put that? Baby. Y'all don't play about that. We don't. We do not. You do we not. We don't. We mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. We don't. So what was the what was the reason that you wanted to be a Delta? 
You know, I the earliest member I, memory I have about Delta, I went to Campbell Lane Elementary School. Come on. Over Baby, you right State. down to, you, you on Columbia Drive. Sean, when I that tell was, y'all from the cater. Dog, that Matter I grew fact, what? I went to, remember Love That Children on Rainbow? Oh my God. I went to Love That you Children. You went to Love That Children? Love That Children. Wait, I, listen, <laughs> I, I grew up in Spring Valley. My mama didn't say stay over there. See? You went then to I went. I went okay. to Campbell Lane over in Emerald State. Go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Go ahead. Go ahead. And go then ahead. I went to Tower High over there, Glenwood. And in all three of those, <laughs> we are so decayed. This is ridiculous. In all three of those formative spaces, yes, there was always a Delta woman at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Always, right? And you know, for the fuller context, my my parents have high school diplomas. They didn't go to college. I was the first to go to college. Um, and my family. And so they were my first introduction to the diversity of the black female experience. Come on. Right? And this organization called Delta Sigma Theta. And so it had been something that has always been with me, always a part of like how I saw and wanted to shape and inform myself. You know, Spelman has a chapter there. I didn't pledge there. I pledged to cater alumni. Um, But the time that I did pledge, it was almost like, Every black woman that I had known had been a part of that process was like, girl, we knew it was right. We ready for you. We ready for you. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, It was good. It was good. And the time it was right too, because I think that in that point in my life, I mean, you know, we're about sisterhood, scholarship, and service. (laughs) And being in a place in my life where I could give back to the organization. Like really give back. Yeah. It wasn't about wearing the letters. It wasn't about all those things. It was about... Like, am I in a place where I can give to it what is given to so many people? Right, So, And now fast forward as we close out. You know, Ashley is at Spelman, the school where you got your first degree. Mm -hmm. And Ashley's her daughter. What did that feel like? I don't know, because I'm coming up upon this. I like, know, you, you know, almost if, did. If, if Bailey chooses FAMU, that's fine. It'd be great. <laughs> you know, but what does that feel like for your baby to say, Mom, I want to go to Spelman like mm. you did. And you've been, you just played such an integral role in her life. Yeah. And I've just seen it from afar, how much you've poured into this baby. Yeah. You know, I think that our children and their choices are the summation, are the the greatest summation and reflection of who we are as, indiv- as individuals. And I don't say that as a, as a pat on the back. I actually say it as a reflection of the complex, beautifully complex human experiences these children are leaning into. And Ashley, I had to learn, she had to teach me how to parent her. Really? Yeah. Because the school of thought I come from. I mean, I'm saying really like that. <laughs> right. Too. Like, like I come ain't on doing now. the same like, thing. Bailey be like, Mom. Right. It, not too much. That's you're what doing too much. Too much. Not too you're much. doing too much, right? And so I it, for full trans, I mean, probably in the last four or five years, I finally was like, oh, you need a different style of parenting. Right? In order for all of my subliminal things to stick around Spellman, around choosing Jesus, around the color red, whatever it is, right? Look at you, look at you, look at you. Right? For it to stick, I got to show up in the way that works for you. Right? Your personality, your temperament, it has not been easy. She'd be like, you talking, you yelling. I'm like, I'm not yelling. This is just... Then who I am. Then who I am. But she'd be like, no, you're yelling at me. And I don't react well to that. 
Right? So now that me, girl, we don't. A, can we have a session at this? <laughs> So not right? getting it right. So, so, but no, it's not about getting it right. I mean, because uh-huh. because here, because here's the evidence is that Ashley is at Spelman. She has started her matriculation there, debt free so far. Come on, come God. on, hush, come on, God. Go uh, <laughs> started there, debt free so far, and she is in this place where she is testing out. <laughs> All of the things that I that she believes that she wants to be and doing it in a safe space, doing it with mama's eyes from 900 miles away and right. like friends were like, oh, I saw Ashley on the strip. Okay. At, not at the strip club. The right, strip. Right, 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 on the down to the, down to the, at the clock at 11. Right, right, right. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Before be like, damn, I'm doing that at the strip club. Right, she had an eye. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but, you know, I think um, when I think about all the things I've done in my life, that is the thing that I'm most proud of, that she yeah. made that choice, that she is there and thriving, that she is getting the opportunity to discover who it is that she will ultimately become. And she's and that's, awesome. That's all we can ask for. She's awesome. I want um I want her want to connect her with Bailey, my yeah. my eleventh grader. Yeah. To do like a little shadow weekend. I know. That would be, be great. Dope. So Bailey can see, you know, it's crazy. All of it. Yeah. And it's like, am I getting it right? But I think the one thing, and I think, I I don't know if I've said it on this season, but like the one thing that has made me realize that I'm doing okay at it, Mm. we were talking to a scholarship um, counselor who's one of your sores. Bailey was in this program. She's like, what do you, you know, Bailey, what do you want to do? She's like, I want to live a life like my mama because Ooh. she is like, she's doing her thing. And then I said, oh, I, I'm good. I'm not going to go down. No, you're right. I'm, walk on out. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. But when your teenage yeah, daughter says that, aspires to be like you, and I want to just hold that for you, Rashawn, is that because I've heard you say it a few times that you don't know if you're getting it right. It ain't about whether or not you're getting it right. It's about whether or not the things you are teaching those children are showing up in the world. And that is your evidence. And for her to be like, I want to just like live like my mama living. She didn't say Smitty. Right. She said you. Let the church say. Amen. Love you. Love you. Alicia Gore, my very first guest, 2016, full circle, and 2022. Look at us. God is good. All the time. I love you, sis. I love you, too. Can we give it up for this amazing woman?